welcome to the Good Table Podcast. I'm so glad you're here today. And I'd like to thank my sponsor, Tag Hoyer Watches. Okay, so that's like a horrible lie. But I thought, hey, if I start saying it and someone at, at Tag Hoyer actually hears one of these, I mean, for real, I, I would work for a Tag Hoyer watch. And you know what? Stranger things have happened. All right, so anyway. <laughs> well, recently I had an opportunity to speak at a women's conference, and my subject was leading through change. And after thinking about that for just a couple minutes after I was asked, I realized, like, are you kidding me? Like, that's one of the main things that I've done professionally in most of my life. So let's talk today about how to lead through change. And let's start with the obvious question. Like, how many people do you know who sincerely like change? Like, it's probably only a couple, right? Maybe you're like this. Maybe you know one or two other people that are risk takers, that are entrepreneurs, they're like change agents, and they thrive on change. But man, it's a really small number, right? And the other thing is, if there's anything that's a constant in life, it's change. If there's anything that's job security for leaders, it's change. I don't know if you've thought about it in this way before, but if you get paid to lead or manage, they're paying you to deal with change. And if and if you own your own business, I mean, this is what you know. You know that the market, the competition, technology, it constantly changes, right? And I just want to start here today because if you're a leader and you keep asking yourself questions like, when is everything going to settle down? When is everything going to, to get back to a nice, calm, normal? If you're asking yourself those kinds of questions, you probably need to adjust your expectations. Or maybe, like if this kind of stuff just undoes you all the time, then maybe leading isn't your bag. And I just kind of wonder too, as you, for you as a leader and what you do in your organization, have you ever thought, have you ever had the thought, I know I have, change shouldn't be this hard. Well, I think we, I, I think that's a, that's a thought we've all wrestled with, right? It's, it's come to our minds, all of us. So let me just spend a few minutes shining the light on why change is so hard. So for the people you lead, change, it's hard because change can hit nerves that are at the core of who we are as people. Right? Like things, it, it, it can hit nerves, things like fear and doubt and low self esteem. And sometimes we can't figure out why people are so sideways over this thing, over this procedure, this new idea, this new way of doing things, this, this thing that doesn't seem at all emotional in nature. And if that's happening, what's going on sometimes is your people are not sideways about the change. They're sideways about what this change has triggered inside them. A phrase I heard years ago that's really helped me understand this is um, author Rob Bell. Um, he wrote and, we, and would say, this is about that. And this is about that. It, this, is, uh, th this comes up in, in our, um, our relationships at home, our significant other, and in our employees. Like, here's, here's a this is about that scenario. You're talking about something that's unemotionable, uh, unemotionable, or unemotional by nature. And their response is very emotional, right? You're like, um, I, I just was wondering, I was just saying I didn't want to go out to eat on Friday night. And 
This is about that. So what that other person heard was, oh, you don't want to be seen with me? You don't want to go out with me? This is, right? This is about that. And so sometimes change, it triggers these things. They're at the heart of who we are. And it triggers these emotions that aren't about what you're really talking about. This is about that. You're talking about this. You're talking about this change. But what's going on in them is that thing deep inside of them where they feel uncomfortable, where they feel a little unhinged. This is about that. And when you're leading change, it's so easy to step on people's fear and doubts and self-esteem and not know it. Because their inner dialogue, or, or sometimes deep down, where they're not even aware of it, and this is the hard part about this. Sometimes they're not aware of this either. But deep down, they're thinking, like, what if I can't cut it? What if I don't like this new thing? What if I'm no good at this new thing? And here's the plot twist. Here's the, here's the this is about that. When we feel those things, we don't say those things. Instead, we say, like, deflective things like, hey, this is dumb. The old way was just fine. We'll say, this isn't going to work. This company doesn't know what they're doing, right? Like we deflect. And you know what else? And man, here's where it gets complicated. So many times people don't know that this is why they're resisting the change. Like it takes a really self-aware, highly relationally intelligent person to know that this change is triggering something deeper inside of them. It takes a very self-aware person to see into their psyche that, that this is really about that. So change is hard because, number one, change can hit nerves that are at the core of who we are. Another reason leading change is hard is because change is confrontational. I, I, I don't know if you've ever thought about it in those kind of words before, but change is confrontational. And, and what I like to say is the only people who love confrontation are unhealthy people. You know, you know what I mean? You probably know one or two people like this, that they're just always itching for a good fight, right? But I think the rest of us, most of us, the vast majority of, of us are confrontationally averse, right? Like I, I'm good at confrontation at this point in my life. I've done a lot of it and I'm able to love people through confrontation. But that doesn't mean I like it, right? But the truth is, change requires you and me as leaders to confront people with a new way of doing something. And so when we're leading change, we're telling people no to something and trying to get them to say yes to a better something. Here's just a real simple example of this. Um, six years ago now, Sandra and I were working on building out um, Main Street Cafe, this downtown it's a coffee shop, sandwich shop that we have. And um, there was, had been a coffee shop in there before that had closed down. And the coffee shop that was there before was very Christian in nature, like overtly Christian. Christian music playing, Christian tchotchkes on the wall. Um, it, was just, it was just very Christian. And Sandra and I, in our business plan, had really, even though Sandra and I are Christ followers, and I'm actually a pastor at Oak Brook Church, even though at our core, at the core of who we are, and our whole life is really about following Jesus, in terms in terms of our business plan, we were trying to make a cafe that was for everyone, right? So we had thought through that. And like, I don't know if you know this, but some of the people who really like good coffee are not necessarily the people you find in church on a Sunday, and so we just wanted a place that was for everyone. 
And so uh, as we're in there working, um, lot, a lot of windows open, people could see what was going on. And I remember the first time somebody walked in and this guy said to me, hey, so is the prayer room going to be available here when you guys open up? And auto- automatically, I just kind of like, I kind of froze just for a second because I'm like, oh, I'm going to have to confront this guy with the reality. Because the way he said it, you could tell like, hey, I'm hoping that's going to be, you know, a thing. And I realized, oh, I'm going to have to tell him something that he doesn't maybe want to hear. I'm going to have to confront him with it. Right. And so I said, oh, you know what? I'm, I'm you know what? It's not. And this is why, you know, my Sandra and I or Sandra and I, we love, you know, we love Jesus, all that good stuff. But this is a coffee shop. It's going to be for everyone. And so the Christian stuff isn't going to be on the walls and it's not going to be in a prayer room. It's going to be in how we do things. And, you know, but I had to confront that. And I had to do that several times as people were coming in. Oh, is this going to be a blah, blah, blah? No, this is going to be a place for all people. But, you know, the Sandra and I, we are who we are. And these values are going to be here. But no, it's going to be something for everyone, not just mostly Christians. So leading change, it's confrontational by nature. And again, people naturally don't like confrontation. And so there's another reason that leading change is hard. And this is a really weird sounding thing called the diffusion of innovation theory. So if you're at a computer right now, you can actually Google the diffusion of innovation theory, and you'll see a really cool diagram. But this will make sense to you even if you can't see it because you're going to draw this in your head. So just imagine a bell curve, right? A bell curve. And on the left side of the bell curve, there's and this this is all about how people are wired, how people really are. And in this theory, the diffusion of innovation theory, tells us that only 2.5% of all people, 2.5% are innovators. And then the next thing, as you're going up this bell curve a little bit, the next segment are people that are called early adopters, right? If you're a leader, you love these people. Well, guess what? Early adopters are only 13.5% of the people. So if you're doing your math so far, <laughs> so far, you're right now we're halfway up the bell curve. And only um, 16% of people are naturally going to get on board with an idea that they can't see yet, right? And then the next segment, going right to the middle of the bell curve, is what's called the early majority, and that's only 34%. And and when you think about leading change, um, you know, think about when you get to the middle of the bell curve is when things actually kind of get done. And then after that, on the other side, you have 34% of the people that are called the late majority, (laughs) right? These are the, I have to see it to believe it, people. And then the the last segment of people on the far right of the bell curve, I love this. 16% of the people are called, ready? Laggards. <laughs> if you're a leader, laggards drive you crazy. And let me explain this to you. So what you have to hear is half of the people are are only going to get down with it up to the point you 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 build it, you make it happen. The other half of the people, they're going to have to like see it done, and they're going to have to see it work for them to believe it. And here's an example of that. Um, I'm podcasting here in Kokomo, Indiana. And a couple of years ago, um, the local government had this idea to build a state-of-the-art baseball stadium in downtown. And they were going to build it in literally one of the worst neighborhoods in our city. They were going to like get rid of these houses that flood, and they were going to mitigate the flooding, and they're going to build this, again, state-of-the-art baseball facility. And man, it, this played out exactly like this chart did, right? 
there was like a, such a small amount, like 16% of the people in Kokomo were like, this is going to be amazing. I, you know, I don't even have to see the picture yet. You're just telling me what you're going to do. This is going to be awesome. Right. And that early majority, um, you know, those 34% up into the middle of the bell curve, you know, as they built the stadium and the stadium gets done, then only half of the people are down with the vision. Half. But then when it's done, right in the middle of the bell curve, you still got 50% of the people that are like, well, nobody's going to come to these games. It's not really going to work, right? There's like, I'll believe it when I see it. And this is how it works. And we have to understand this as leaders. We have to understand the diffusion of innovation theory because, listen, this is what we do no matter where we live. So if we live in Kokomo, we're like, we just say, oh, these people in Kokomo, right? But wherever you live, you're saying, oh, these people in my city. But the reality is this is people, right? 16% of the people can see your vision before it happens. Only half are going to see it. The, 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 34% of people are going to have to see stuff happening before they believe it. Then there's a whole other half of the percentage that are going to have to see it working before they believe it, right? So based on everything we've looked at so far, here are some things that, that we can we just need to stop saying as leaders. We need to stop saying, change shouldn't be this hard. We need to stop saying, why do I have to say this more than once? And we, we can just stop saying, why don't people just trust me? <laughs> why? Because, again, change triggers deeply seated emotions like fear, doubt, and low self-esteem. And change is confrontational. And there's this crazy thing called the diffusion of innovation. Those innovators and early adopters make up just 16% of the people. All right. So let's get into this. Let's get into like, okay, how I know. Great. I get it. It's hard to lead change, but how do we lead change? Well, so here we go. And the first point is this love people. And some of you listening, you just need to understand like, no, I'm not one of these like pastors like, Hey man, just love everybody. And it's going to be good. Actually, the way I'm wired, I'm more on the analytical side of things, right? That's who I am. But the reason I say love people is because change, this is so important, change is not about the new process. It's not just about this new process or this new procedure or this new play you're going to run. It's about the people who are going to implement the process or the procedure or this new thing that you're going to do. And if you don't have people to implement your thing, you don't have a new thing. So if you love people, you'll have all the patience you need to help them navigate whatever change they seem to be struggling with. It, it, we need to catch this. Like late adopters, they're not bad people. They're great people that are struggling with change. And, and here's a phrase we use that helps us love people. We use this um, behind the scenes at our staff at Oak Brook. Um, we use this in our home. I use this with all people everywhere no matter what the situation. And here's, the, here's these three words that will help you love people in the process. Ready? Believe the best. Believe the best. Until you know that you shouldn't believe the best about that person, believe the best. When they're sideways in the, in the midst of this new change, if they've worked for you a long time and they've been a great person, man, take that into account. And you're like, and, and understand they're a great person. They're just struggling with what you're trying to communicate right now. Believe the best. They're not trying to, to, to sabotage your new idea. They're not trying to usurp your leadership. There are great people who are struggling. Believe the best about them. 
And so remember, this isn't just about the new thing. This is about the people implementing the new thing. So love people through the process. And if you love people through the process, here's what's going to happen. They will feel valued, and when people feel valued, they will want to help you go to the moon, right? Right. So love people. Number two, over-communicate the vision. Uh, you and your team, when this whole, before this whole thing started, you and your leaders were in a room, and you were probably talking about this change that you're trying to implement right now. You probably talked about it for weeks, maybe even months. And when your lead team started talking about it, odds are everyone in the room didn't even all agree on this change that you're now trying to implement. Everyone on your team probably every 100% didn't love it at first blush. So <laughs> don't expect your people to all love it or embrace it the first time or maybe even the second time they hear it. So this idea of over-communicating the vision is all about um, talking about the why behind the what. This is the compelling vision of why we can't keep running this same play. Like you have to explain what it will cost us, what it will cost them, what it will cost our organization if we don't change. You have to find the appropriate ways to communicate all the whys that drove your top-level leadership decision. You have to explain why we can't stay here and why we have to go there. There's got to be a why behind all this stuff. And, and, and here's a little tip for you. Unless you're tired of casting that vision, unless you as a leader are tired of talking about it, you probably haven't communicated it enough yet. Like when I think about um, Oak Brook Church, um, our current building that we've been in now for a while. Um, at, at the time that we decided to build it, we were at uh, Park and Center Road in Kokomo um, in this really modest-sized building that had an auditorium that would seat 500 people. And we were talking about going into a 120,000-square-foot facility, $9 million, with an auditorium that could hold up to 1,700 people. Listen, we spent like a year easily before we put a shovel in the ground. We talked about it nonstop for months with just like about 100 plus people before we went public. We had meetings of 30 to 50 people in uh, Mark Millen is our senior pastor in, in his basement. And, 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 and get this, before we had these meetings in his basement, I'll never forget this. Mark and I went down to this, um, this little business in Indianapolis and all they did there was build scale models of buildings that were to be built. And I remember we picked the most plain Jane uh, model for the church we were going to build. This didn't have any color. It was all white. It was just white cardboard. Um, it was all exactly to scale and all that stuff, but we didn't do any finishes on it. You couldn't take off the lid and see like the inside of it. It was just a plain Jane. It was $10,000. And we just about choked on it. But then we thought, you know what? We need to help people. We need to, as we get these people in your basement, we need to help people understand this is critical, right? This is part of casting this compelling vision. And then I had this situation just, um, <laughs> whew, just, to, just this past year. So um, the last few years, I've been 
um, the campus pastor at uh, one of our church locations in Flora, Indiana. This little, uh, it, it was the first time our our church had become had a second location, and it was a merger. And on the front end of that, this was you know again three years ago. Right up front, I remember, you know, we, we had a t- discussion about this in our lead team at Oak Brook, and, and so I'm saying in front of our people in Flora, like, hey, you know what? We decided we're not going to change the name here. People don't really know what Oak Brook means here in Flora. The name you guys have means something. We're not going to change the name. But then, dun dun dum, we literally changed our paradigm and our mission of how we were going to reach more people at Oak Brook. And we became part of a system where we agreed to build more churches to reach more people. And we were going to build amazing churches in small towns in Indiana. And even already, we're at three locations right now. And as soon as this started to happen, we realized, "Uh uh-oh, if we don't change the name, we need two websites. Everything we print, every document has to be at least two documents. And this was it, now it was clunky and it was hard to navigate and it was costing us time and money actually to not change the name. So I had to basically recant. I had to go back. So what did I do? I had meetings for weeks after church with about ten people in my office at a time, and I would pick the influencers. I would pick people who had been there a long time. I even picked people who I thought might be sideways about it. Because I wanted to honor them, and I wanted to let them know first before this went public. I wanted them to know the whys behind the what. And I gave everybody that met with me in that room, I gave them a one-page sheet of this is exactly why we're doing it. This is not why we're doing it. So I could ensure that what they said to people as they left there, um, we would literally be on the same page. And so here's the cool thing about all that. The Sunday, I stand in front of our congregation in in the little town of Flora, I, I say, this, we're changing the name. This is why we're doing it. This is not why we're doing it. All that good stuff. And there's not a peep. There's not one iota of pushback. So again, this is not, this is not over-communicating. This, this principle here is not over-communicating what we're doing. This is about over-communicating the vision, over-communicating why we're doing this. And every great change has a great why that's driving it. And that's what you communicate. All right, so love people. Overcommunicate the vision. And then number three, maintain a running dialogue. Maintain a running dialogue. And, and what that means is don't think of change as making a point or declaring this is just the way it's going to be. Because, man, that that method, that's ancient thinking. No one wants to work for that kind of leadership. I don't. You don't. Nobody does. So, again, this idea of maintaining a running dialogue, it's understanding that leading change, it's not a moment It's not a moment where you say what's going to happen. It's a process. It's not a statement. It's a dialogue. And this is important because statements, man, just declarative statements don't pull people in, right? But dialogue does. Statements are one way. Dialogue is two ways. And as a leader, you have the opportunity to open the door and let people know conversationally that this change, the path to this change is a two-way street, all right? Which leads us to the fourth point, which is to be available. Three was maintain a running dialogue, and number four is be available. You can't maintain a dialogue with people that you're leading if you're not available. The, the ancient philosopher um, Lao Tzu, this is, man, this guy's like several centuries B.C., said, to lead people, walk beside them. 
and more recently someone, probably John Maxwell, I tried to, to Google it, I couldn't find who said it, but someone more recently said, lead by walking around. The best practice when leading change is to be more present, more available than normal. Because when you're more available, when you're closer in proximity to the people that you lead, you can pick up on things that they're not saying verbally, right? Like when you're walking around, you can see when Jane isn't herself. Like when you're walking around, you can pick up on the vibe that James doesn't seem as dialed in as usual. And you want to be close enough that you can just naturally ask. Like when you're walking around, it's not like calling somebody into your office that always feels goofy and weird. When you're walking around, you're close enough that you could just naturally ask, like, hey, how are you doing? And when you say, when you when you pull James aside and you go say, hey, how are you doing? You look like you, you got something on your mind. I mean, you may find out there's something going on at home that you can help him with. Or you may find out, man, he's like so sideways over this change. He does not understand why we're doing what we're doing. And any way you slice it, if you are close enough to notice how people are doing and ask, how are you doing? Man, what a great picture of servant leadership that is, right? Close enough that you can ask a good question that can prevent something from growing into a much larger issue for that employee. You know, doctors say all the time, they say, hey, you know, if we catch cancer early, we can keep it from spreading, right? That's the whole thing. Like, if we can catch it early, and for leaders, it's the same thing. Listen, if we can catch a misunderstanding or an employee struggling with this change early, what can we do? Yeah, we can keep it from spreading. So, number one, love people. Number two, over-communicate the vision. Number three, maintain a running dialogue. Four, be available Five, go after the thing in the bushes. (laughs) This is one of my favorites, just because it's what it's called. There's actually a book by the same title, The Thing in the Bushes. So as leaders, we need to go after the thing in the bushes. And um, let me explain what that is. So again, three years ago, we had this merger between um, our church in Kokomo, Oak Brook, and our smaller, much, much smaller church in Flora, Indiana. And it was a merger, but what happens in a merger is someone's in charge. Someone, in essence, at the core of it, takes it over, right? Somebody hands someone else the keys. Someone hands someone else the checkbook. It doesn't become like some new entity. It's You absorb them. And so when we merged with the church in Flora, we naturally made a lot of changes just right out of the gate because we're trying to align these two churches even more than they were naturally. There was a lot of a natural alignment that was already there. But guess what happens when you start changing things? Man, people start getting sideways. And so every single week in staff meetings and every single week in church, I would either say to our staff or I would say to kind of key people at the church, people that have been around, I would say, hey, what are you hearing? You know, what are you hearing directly from people? What are you hearing secondhand from people? And what I would do is I would jot those things down. And as soon as I heard about those things, I'd make a phone call. I would say, "Hey, could could we get together and talk?" And I would just I would just go right at it. I would just go, "Hey, how are you doing? How are you doing with this merger?" Um, you know, I, and I may even say, "You know, I, I heard this about you. Is that is that true?" And you know what happened? I had a ton of great conversations with great people who were struggling with change. And so this is the important thing as as a leader who is leading change. 
don't ever, listen to me, this is so important, don't ever wait for things to get to you. If you wait for things to get to you, you're going to be dealing with big, hairy, complex deals. As soon as you smell it, as soon as you hear it, go after the thing in the bushes. All right. So number six is celebrate people who get on board. And I love doing this because, again, I mean, statistically, there are going to be, you know, a decent number of people who get on board quick. And what gets celebrated gets repeated. So when those people, those early adopters, they get on board quick with you, celebrate them, thank them, you know, pat them on the back and ask those early adopters, ask them for help. Ask them for help spreading the vision because they get it. They understand it. They can see it. And then the other thing I do with early adopters is I ask them for help finding people who are struggling with this change, right? I use those early adopters to say, hey, what are you hearing? I, help, I, I use them to help me understand what's going on in the bushes, right? So celebrate those people who get on board because what gets celebrated gets repeated. And they're great allies and they're great people you can pull in to this whole thing of taking this hill. They'll go with you and they'll help others go with you. All right, so love people, over-communicate the vision, maintain a running dialogue, be available, go after the thing in the bushes, celebrate people who get on board, and all right, this is the last one. You ready? You need to know that everyone may not get on board. And this is the hardest one. I mean, by, uh, by far and away, this is the hardest for me over the years. Because this idea that knowing that everyone may not get on board. And this is about this is about real people. This is about your friends. Sometimes this is about people you have worked with for years. And the hard truth about leading change is everyone may not get on board. And sometimes the people who got you here aren't the people who can get you to the next level, right? Sometimes the people who were great, who were a great fit a few years ago when your organization was smaller. Man, they were great. They were they were integral. They man, they did incredible things to get you here. But sometimes your as the organization grows, they're not the people that get you to the next level. And and again, if you're consistently leading change in an organization and the organization is growing, man, this is the tough part. Because sometimes the organization outgrows the person. And so sometimes, sometimes in these situations, sometimes the person themselves self-selects off the team because they'll say things like, you know what, this isn't the company I got on board with years ago. And the truth is, I don't really like how it is now. I liked it when it was small. I liked it was you when it was you and me and Jan. I, I liked that. I, I don't like it that there's departments now and we're, I, I just don't like it. And so sometimes this is an opportunity to re-slot a person, um, to put them on a different seat on the bus, right? Like they were great in that seat for a while, but it's grown now, and then that seat's outgrown them. And it's time to put them on a different seat on the bus. But some people, here's the truth, some people like their seat, and they aren't willing to be re-slotted. And let me just say, that is hard. Because 
when a, a person isn't willing to be reslotted and you know you have to put someone else in that seat, then you know you're in this at this place where you're going to have to ask them to get off the bus. And that's hard. But at the same time, I, I, want, I want you to understand that you know, this talking about an organization not growing someone or finding a new seat on the bus or whatever, or maybe they don't need to be on the bus anymore, that can sound heartless to you, but listen to me. This is so important. For the next phase of this person's life, they may need to be on another bus to thrive, to be, to fully um, become the person that they were intended to become. Maybe at this point, your organization isn't the best fit. And we need to understand that our organization isn't the end-all, be-all. They may need to be on someone else's bus. And so sometimes the fact that it's coming to an end for them now is the beginning of an incredible opportunity somewhere else. And you need, you need to help them see that. And sometimes those like emotional triggers that we talked about earlier, those things like fear, doubt, and self-esteem, sometimes those are founded right? Sometimes people are feeling those things because they know, oh, I'm not the person to do this anymore. I, I, I'm wrestling with self-esteem because I know I'm just, re- I'm wrestling to keep, I've been wrestling to keep up as it is right now. And they know, they know it's outgrown them. And you know, the other part is some people, it's not, it's, not, it's just, it's not complicated. Some people just simply like here too much to go there. And they're simply in a word, They're just unwilling. And listen to me. If that's the case, after you've done everything you have to explain the whys, to help them understand where we're going and why and how you want them to go with you, if they're unwilling after all that, listen, you can't control that. If you're going to lead change, you will leave some people behind. And sometimes it's for legitimate reasons, right? They're no longer a good fit. Maybe it outgrew them, whatever. Sometimes simply because they are unwilling. So change is hard, (laughs) right? Most people don't like it. But when we lead it well, right? Here's the hope in all this. When we lead change well, amazing things happen, right? Amazing things happen because we help people grow and we help our organization grow. Like, man, I can remember this like decades ago. (laughs) I was absolutely clueless about how to do this. I sucked at it. I was was an old school, this is what we're doing now kind of a leader. But leading change is 100%. It is a learned skill. And I'm not trying to be full of myself, which is what somebody always says right before they're going to be full of themselves. Um, But I freaking rock at leading change at this stage of my life. You know, because I've worked at it, because it is a learned skill, and because I've stepped into the tension of leading change, and it is a tension, right? Just like we've talked about it today. But because I've stepped into the tension of leading change, I have seen firsthand, I've seen myself grow, I've seen people around me grow, and I have seen the organizations that I have helped lead grow. And man, I get super jazzed about talking about this because I believe... I believe that every one of us, you, me, everybody, has the capacity and has the deep down desire to leave this world better than we found it. 
And when you and I, listen, when you and I love people, when we build into people, when we equip people, when we encourage people, when we listen to people as we lead change, man, it is impossible to not change this world for the better. So come on. Like, who doesn't want to make a difference with this one and only life? So listen to me. You can do this. Everything I share today is out of the pages of my life. It works. It will work for you. It'll work for your organization. So how do you lead change well? You love people. You believe the best. You over-communicate the vision, the why behind the what. Number three, you maintain a running dialogue. Change isn't a statement, it's a conversation. Number four, you be available. You lead by walking around. Number five, you go after the thing in the bushes. As soon as you smell it, go after it. Number six, celebrate people who get on board. What gets celebrated gets repeated. And seven, know that everyone may not get on board. But maybe, maybe when they don't get on board, that's the start of something great in their life, maybe even somewhere else in their life. All right. Well, man, I am so glad that you were with me today on the Good Table podcast. If this has been helpful for you or would help someone that you know, please give this a share. Uh, You can just tell people to search The Good Table on iTunes or simply go to the website, thegoodtable.squarespace.com. All right. I'm Morgan Young. Thanks for being with me. Now go make the world better.